I'll invite you to turn with me to Paul's letter to the Colossians this morning. Colossians. I think, well, that sounds a little strange. We're going to jump back into Exodus next week. We'll take a break uh, this week. And uh, I've been thinking a lot recently about our union, our spiritual union with the Lord Jesus. So I keep telling myself, you know, you need to talk about this more. You need to, this needs to be preached. It's something that is so marvelous. It's just too marvelous for us to keep it as an assumed instruction for Christians. Assumed instruction in the Christian life. And if we look in the Old Testament, we follow the Apostle Paul, there's really half of the New Testament, that golden thread is our spiritual union with the Lord Jesus and what comes from that. So we're going to begin reading at Colossians 2, verse 20, sort of get a bead on what Paul is addressing among the believers here, and then we'll go through 3, verse 4, where he gives really the most profound response and answer to the predicament that the church is in. So Colossians 2, verse 20. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism, and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him. In glory. Let's pray together. Lord God, we are grateful for this, your word to us. It's a light to our path, a lamp to our feet. Lord, we pray that you would illumine that path now, that you would illumine our hearts by your Holy Spirit, that we might understand and apply this word faithfully. Lord, we don't presume to be able to do this on our own. We need your help. Lord, you have promised that you will work your word to accomplish its purpose. Work that purpose now in us, Lord. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. The other day I pulled out an x-ray of my right ankle. It was an x-ray that was taken over 20 years ago. And uh, if you look at this x-ray, it shows uh, about a six-inch plate and there are six or seven different screws going through this plate, which is on the outside of my ankle, and into that bone. And uh, as far as I know, I've, I've taken it all with me the last 20 years. But if I take my sock and shoe off, which I won't do right now, you would not see any of that. You'd see a little bit of a scar, but the plate and the screws and all that that's a part of my ankle uh, is, is something you're not going to notice. Uh, There's a lot more there than what actually meets the eye when you look at my ankle. When I think about the church in Colossae that Paul is writing to, they've fallen prey to some doctrinal error. Uh, We don't know for certain what type of false teaching uh, that Paul is addressing, but it's making some high demands on the people. Specific demands. How they are to go about 
uh, life in Christ and what, what holiness looks like. It reads like the leaders among the people have been trying to enforce some type of purity laws uh, that have been practiced by the Jews. In other places, it, it looks like there's this mystical experience. Say that This is necessary for you to really experience the fullness of God. And so Paul brings several of these concerns together that makes it hard for us to pinpoint exactly uh, what heresy or confusion that's being spread. But these false teachers are directing the people away from the true gospel, enslaving them again to a law that could not save. Only Christ can save. Only Christ has saved. And so Paul is going to remind this young church, as he reminds the church throughout the ages, that Christ and those who follow Him are inseparably linked. Where Christ is, His people are. Where His people are, Christ is. So, so there's more than meets the eye here. More than what's on the outside that we can just experience in this sin-scarred world. So Paul's he's strapping the church here on this x-ray machine, the end of chapter 2, beginning of chapter 3. He says, look, look at what's really there. Look who you really are. You see it dimly now. You're not going to see it you know, with all clarity in this mortal body. But you and the Lord Jesus are one now. So that's what we're going to unpack a little bit, what he says here. In short, he tells them that they're, they're looking down and outward when they need to be looking up and inward. They need to see in faith what is really there. So Paul makes a transition here in verse 20. If you've died with Christ, the spirit of this world, why do you still submit to its regulation? So he's trying to incite them into thinking and considering the implications of keeping their heads down and allowing the way in which the world operates to direct their lives. So I want us to be clear here on what Paul means by spiritual forces or spirits of the world. These are those principles, the, the fundamentals, the assumptions the ideas that determine how the world does things. Paul's not encouraging them to sort of separate from the world all entirely, a world that God has made good, but this good world has been broken, it's been graffitied, twisted by sin. So that the way in which the world operates, the way in which people relate to each other, the way in which people relate to God, which relate to the creation around us, that has all been uh, broken. Uh, it's no longer in harmony with God's intention. So instead of justice and charity and meekness and honesty, um, we see malice and pride and jealousy, slander, envy, greed, all of these things. We see an order around us that is consumed with itself and pursuit of, of power over other people and other things. And Paul is saying, this is a bad order. This is not the operating manual that you need to be living by as those in Jesus Christ. If the order and values of this world define who you are and determine how you live, you need to be reminded, church in Colossa, church here in Sherwood, of who you really are and who does provide the motivation manual for living, as it were. So there's going to be a tension. You're not, we won't be removed 
from this war-torn world. Still have to live in it, interact with it. We no longer trust and rely upon its ideas on how to do business. That's what keeps our heads down. Focusing only on you know, the, the pertinent needs to keep us thinking about ourselves, our own immediate circumstances, how to gratify those desires, what, what simply cannot satisfy. So our flesh, the sin that is always cropping up, will keep our heads down. The, the world, the, the allure, it's just going to dance before us. It'll keep our heads down. The evil one is constantly trying to steal our identity. A while ago, I received a note in the mail saying that uh, both my wife and I would be receiving new credit cards because apparently we had shopped at Target during that one particular month. And if you had shopped at Target in that month, then the likelihood that your, your identity, your personal information at least, was, was stolen. Um, I think of just how much this is going to continue to grow in a world that is as wired as we are um, in those types of transactions, this Identity theft is going to continue uh, to expand. But whether it's 10,000 credit cards or 10 million credit cards, it's nothing on the capability of the evil one. He is the ultimate identity thief. He's very, very crafty. He's very good at this. He will do everything he can to keep our heads down and focused on the here and now. He can convince us that the stuff around us, and it could be indulging in certain stuff or refraining from certain stuff, that's what keeps our heads down. If that's what matters, what we really believe we need in order to be satisfied and content, then He's effectively stolen our identity. Now in actuality, He hasn't stolen anything. But He convinces us. We convince ourselves that we ultimately belong in this place with our heads down. Now, can we admit this morning that this is uh, just how real this is? How challenging this is? How difficult it is to resist? You know, the principles and values of this world can be very, very attractive. We want, we want to be loved. We want to be accepted. We want to be attractive. We want to be secure. We want to be safe. The spirit of this world is going to offer all kinds of answers to those desires. Are the desires bad? Are they immoral? Sometimes they can be. But not usually. It's where we find the answers. How we pursue the answers. Very hard to do when our heads are down. Our focus of our minds, our energy is on what is just in front of our faces in the temporary so Paul gives further detail on how this is happening uh, in the life of the church, verses 21 through 23. Um, it's kind of a strange time of year to be thinking about snowstorms, but I actually was thinking about snowstorms on this particular point. Because when you watch a snowstorm go across the country, sometimes it'll dip enough into the south where you get a dusting in places like Arkansas or Mississippi or Alabama. And, and people will drive around, you see people in the ditches all over the place. And there, are, there could be lots of reasons for this, but if you're not used to driving in the snow or you haven't practiced driving in the snow, you forget how to drive in the snow. And so when, you know, when your car begins to slide off the road and go in a direction that you don't want, what's your first instinct? 
What are you going to do? Slam on those brakes. Right. Yeah. That has the greatest appearance of wisdom in the moment. But in slippery conditions, it usually makes things worse. And you're in the ditch faster than when you started. What looks like a good idea, teaching that sounds very moral, practices, this appeal to holiness, bringing glory to God, it's actually shackling people. Taking them straight into into the ditch, off the gospel truth, if you want to continue that analogy. You want to be a good and faithful Christian? Then don't do that. Don't touch that. Ooh, don't drink that. The people are being told you know, to beat themselves up, beat up their minds and bodies in submission to God. And Paul says that has no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Stuff that goes, the outward stuff that goes into our body does not determine our maturity as a Christian or status of our spiritual life. It may sound plausible, It may only encourage the flesh, keep our attention in the immediate, temporal. So here's how this usually works. You know, don't go, don't stay, don't touch, don't taste, don't drink. Before long, we realize that we really stink at this. We're no good at it. And so we say, well, what's the point? I've tried these things. I can't live like I would like to or I'm supposed to, so I'm done. Christianity just hasn't worked for me. Sort of abandon that. It's keeping our heads down. So then, then we just sort of breathe oxygen, survive from, from day to day with the solutions that the world offers. So that's one way that self-made religion uh, encourages the flesh. The other way is to be tempted and enjoy the flesh all the more because we're convinced that it works. That all these do's and don'ts in order to please God actually work. So I can sort of abuse my body in certain ways. I can enjoy the comforts, maybe a certain lifestyle, as long as I do A, B, and C, or I don't do X, Y, and Z. So there's the law, A, B, and C, X, Y, and Z. When that's there, apart from an identity in Christ, it can make the things of this world all very, very attractive. Paul really goes after that relationship in Romans chapter 7. How we need the law makes us all the more aware of our own sin. The apostle wants us to see that in Christ we've, we've died to living this way. We are alive now, not someday, right now in Christ. To His ways, to His purposes, to His methods. And Paul attacks this identity theft really head on. He says that we've died with Christ in verse 20 and we've been raised with Christ in 3 verse 1. So what Jesus has done, we have done in union with Him. So it's time to stop you know, looking down at the temporary and trivial stuff and look up to the glory that's ours in spiritual union with Christ. And Paul gives a condition again, 3 verse 1. really demands a response. It has to. If you've died with Christ, why does the, the pattern of this world then have all your attention? If you've been raised with Christ, where do you think your attention should be? Where should your focus be? It should be where Christ is. 
He's seated at the right hand of God, reigning over all things, enthroned in majesty and glory and splendor. He's preparing an eternity with His people. Think of how how death has already been defeated. He's he's preparing this place for all those who have been united to Him. So He's more radiant. He's more glorious. He's more satisfying than anything that this world can begin to offer. And He's ours now. The risen Christ, inseparable from His church. He's not complete without her, nor her without Him. So brothers and sisters, I want to ask you, just let's slide under Paul's x-ray machine. Lord Jesus has not only been given for you, He's been given to you. He is yours. You are His. He in you. You in Him. Galatians 2, Paul is he's pushing this theme. We've been crucified with Christ and no longer live, but Christ lives in us. So we live now by faith in the Son of God who indwells us by His Spirit. So this is a spiritual union that we share. It's the Holy Spirit that unites us to Jesus. In His life we live. In His death we die. We, just need, we need to be reminded of this over and over again. That we do not live for ourselves. Think of 2 Corinthians 5. It says, He died for all, and though that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. We are his. He is ours. So church, where, where is Jesus right now? Say, well, you know, he's here with us by the presence of his spirit, but the incarnate Christ is, is in the splendor of, of heaven. He's seated at the right hand of God the Father right now and he's going to be there until he returns he's going to be there a very long time like forever and if we by faith are spiritually united to Christ and there's nothing that can sever that union there's Romans 8 then we're there now we're secure in glory which I know sounds a little weird there's there's a mystery to this you know we're not partly here and partly in heaven We're all here, and we're all there at the same time. We're joined spiritually. All all the glorious aspects of of Christ's salvation are applied to us. That includes our glorification. So when Jesus returns, our glory, the glory we have right now, that will be unveiled. It will be crystal clear for all of us. We'll see Jesus in all His glory. We'll see one another. We'll see the church in all her beauty and glory. So Paul's reminding, reminding us, he's recovering this belief of our true heavenly identity. Um, and that, that really changes everything. It demands that we set our minds, we set our hearts. Here's where the NIV does a good job in translating that. That we set our hearts on Him and His reign. If we're united to Christ, then our attitudes, our opinions, our ideas are all pre, uh, predisposed toward what is of Christ. We're looking up in our minds, in our hearts. Setting our minds and hearts on what is above. What are some of those things? Things that are true, honorable, 
just, pure, lovely, excellent. That sounds a lot like Paul in Philippians chapter 4. But this takes work. It takes some discipline in a very active way. A while ago, this is a while ago now, my wife had... We were, my wife and I were thinking about how to exercise a little bit more, and uh, we're always thinking about that, it seems. Um, so she printed off these, uh, these six or seven different exercises, and it showed you know, how to actually go about the exercise, some, something that you could do anywhere, you know, in the office or living room or, or whatever. But simply printing them off you know, with a little picture of the guy or gal showing how to do this isn't going to do anything for us unless we decide that we're going to try the exercises, that we're going to do them at least three times a week or whatever they recommended. Growth in godliness, hanging on to our actual identity in Christ, will take a conscious effort, an effort to remind ourselves of who we are in the everyday, the particulars of everyday. Those reminders happen on moments just like this when we're sitting in a sanctuary on, on Sunday morning. As we pray for one another, as we go to the table and eat together, as we share time and fellowship, we're going to slip and fall. We're going to sin big time. Big sins, smaller sins. But as our affection for Jesus continues to grow, He continues that sanctifying work in our lives, He keeps pushing our heads up. He keeps, keeps grabbing our attention, refocusing Kind of like sitting in the classroom after you've had a big lunch. Or maybe you're sitting in the sanctuary and the pastor's voice is just droning on and on until he says, Look up! Look up! If that's what the Apostle Paul is saying. He's saying, Look up! Your life is hidden with Christ. Stop worrying and fretting about those things that you can see. They kept your head looking down. Look to Christ. Cling to Him. Live like you believe that He is your life. Here's a very practical question uh, that goes along with this. It also demonstrates how intentional we need to be. What do you think about when you have nothing else to think about? Where does your mind wander when you have no real requirement to focus your thoughts on anything? How you answer that question, that's a good window into your heart. Is it the principles of this world or the excellencies of Christ? It will only be the excellencies of Christ and the things above if we believe that He, that he is ours and we are His. And there's nothing more satisfying and worthwhile than knowing Him more. More love to Thee, O Christ. More love to Thee. Those whose lives are hidden with Christ, they we just can't get enough of Him because there's so much, so much more beauty and glory in Him that can, we can ever experience. Ten billion years from now, we're still going to be singing more love to Thee, more love to Thee, O Christ. So I want to encourage us to start this now. Every day, giving, uh, giving praise to God, just soaking in the reality Spirit of Jesus is what keeps us secure. That our lives, our, our, our destinies, our dreams are all bound up in Christ. 
Now, this is true for you in faith. It's true for the person sitting next to you. It's true for me. Um, we, we live, or we're, we're glorified together with Christ as the heart of verse 4 that Paul is, is speaking to. That's a plural there. When Christ, who is your life, appears. Christ is your life, church. So there goes that, that individualistic, just me and Jesus paradigm again. Gone. If you are in Christ and He has chosen you before the foundation of the world, He has called you to Himself, He has given you a heart of faith, but He has also chosen you for the brother and sister sitting next to you. Now you've heard me say this before, how we, how we need one another in the body of Christ. We can't function without the rest of the body, but we consider our glorious and forever union with Jesus. It means very practically that we are chosen for one another. I mean, that'll explode your brain. You really think about that. So everyone just look around for a second. Stop looking at me and look around at each other. Um, you know, there, there's probably people here that you're seeing that, that you haven't seen before. So keep looking at each other. Maybe some that you're not, something that, that you've had a little history with. Maybe it's hard to make eye contact with some people in here. You were chosen for that person. That person was chosen for you. Your lives are bound up together in Christ. So how do you respond to that? We fix our eyes on what is above. We pursue the glory of Christ and His church. Maybe we need to be reconciled to somebody in this room. Maybe we need to make a phone call. Um, See the significance of this? Being in union with Jesus? If you are struggling in your walk with the Lord, if you're trapped in a certain sin pattern, relationships, maybe your marriage is struggling, you're throwing up your hands as a parent saying, I'm done, I can't do this anymore. I need you to seek help for my health in the body of Christ. And when you see me struggling, you need me to seek help in the body of Christ for your health. Because Christ is our life. We're bound to one another. So let's, uh, let's be what we're called to be in the body of Christ. So you don't see everything. You look at my ankle, you look at that. You know, there's really more there than meets the eye. But under the x-ray, you see all that's really there. Those united to Christ, you know, we're new people. We may look the same, probably will. But our motivation, our behavior is entirely different than the principles, values that this world lives by. Christ in us. We are in Christ. We don't have to look down and meet the mesmerizing gaze of the world. We can look up and gaze upon the glory of Christ. The glory that's just beginning to unfold all the more in our eternal inheritance. I mean, I can think of no more comforting words in all the scriptures, and your life is hidden with Christ. Okay, I just thought of some. Maybe Jesus saying, it is finished. But it's finished for those who are hidden with God through faith. So we need to believe this. We need to live like who we are as a church. Not just for our own joy, but for the joy of God's people in all places. Let's pray together. Lord, how marvelous is this truth. 
This reality that by faith we are bound to Christ. That we have died to sin and raised to newness of life. Or that we are bound to one another in this body of Christ. We thank you for this, Lord. Something that only you could do in your mercy and your grace. Lord Jesus, be glorified in your body. Be glorified in the church. Be glorified in us as we walk with you and with one another. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.